Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. So, where to begin on everything that happened since last we spoke? 20 hours. Seems like a lot went down. Uh, some good, some bad, some ugly. I think let's start with the ugly, shall we? Now, you know about the FBI wiretaps and the sting and the coaches and, you know, it was Adidas money being funneled to college basketball players and it all it all looks quite dirty really well round two you don't think adidas is the only shoe company that's going to get dragged into this septic tank do you no do people know what septic tanks are i grew up with a septic tank in our house so if if you're out in the sticks and you don't connect to the city sewers you got a septic tank a big tank full of well everything that goes down the drain literally And Nike's right there with Adidas in the septic tank. Allegedly, attorneys representing lawyer Michael Avenatti filed a court motion that alleges a Nike employee at least approved under-the-table payments to former Duke star Zion Williamson and ex-Indiana star Romeo Langford. $35,000 for Williamson, $20,000 for Langford. So they went through a bunch of text messages and emails and other documents and came up with this. Now, it doesn't show canceled checks or it doesn't have, um, you know, bank reports to show the money was moved. It just basically shows conversations that it was arranged for. Um, If you're a conspiracy theorist, you don't need much to go on here to jump into the deep end of the pool. It's always kind of looked like it was dirty. We heard coaches talk about stuff. Now we got wiretaps in the Adidas case, and we'll see where this goes with Nike. But it just doesn't stand to ruin that Nike would have all these high-profile athletes, despite the fact uh, Adidas was over here and Adidas coaches were over here throwing money around. I mean, it doesn't pass the sniff test. The players would have followed the money. Nike's got too many high-profile athletes. So that's, uh, I don't know where that's going to go. Avenatti, it, it comes up because uh, he's been arrested, and he's actually been charged also, of trying to extort up to $25 million from Nike by threatening to expose this right before the NCAA tournament. So this is part of a, a, a motion to dismiss the whole thing. So we'll see where that goes. But that's, uh, that can't be the NCAA's favorite headline of the day. I wouldn't think, think that would be a little, bit of a, a little bit of a problem right there. Um, other stories in the news. Uh, the Major League Baseball. <laughs> I had to laugh when I saw the final score. I was doing the RSL game last night, so all I got was final scores when it was over. And PK has been saying, well, it's time for Arizona to lose to and go back to 500. Sure enough, Colorado got them 7-6. to six. So now Arizona's only a game under 500, and yet still in the wild card race. The Yankees just keep winning. They're just abusing the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, it's just their own private punching bag. At least this was a close game, 6-5. Uh, the Yankees have really been just delivering some beatings, just crushing the ball and dominating people. Um, let's see. Uh, we got... <laughs> we got... Uh, uh, the Astros losing last night, and they're raised to be the best team in the American League. The White Sox beat them 13-9, so they give up a, ground, a game you know, j- to the Yankees. Just when I think Boston's done, they bounce back and beat Cleveland 5-1. to one. Uh, No change in the AL Central as Minnesota loses, too. Uh, as for RSL, they, man, they played really well. They, they look good. They beat the Seattle Sanders 3-0. 3-0. Three different guys scoring goals. Corey, Corey Baird, who 
just a total roller coaster. He's the Major League Soccer Rookie of the Year last year, coming out of Stanford and three NCAA titles. He's a product of RSL's Academy. And he really wasn't supposed to play last year. He was supposed to play for the Monarchs, the minor league USL team. And, but then stuff happens, injuries, and guys are, get red cards and not available or whatever. And he plays, and he plays well, and he scores goals. He keeps playing. He ends up with eight goals and five assists, and he's Rookie of the Year. And then he gets called into the U.S. national team in, in January, and he gets called back in March, but then he doesn't get to play in the Gold Cup. And maybe it's just coincidence, but he sure went into a tailspin, couldn't score. Only had one goal all year, and now he's got three in the last two games. So, RSL looked great. They did not, not only did they not give up a goal as they got their fifth shutout in the last 10 games, but they didn't even allow a shot on goal. It's just dominated, just completely shut Seattle down. And they passed Seattle in the standings, and RSL is now tied for third with uh, the, LA, Gal- uh, with the uh, LA Galaxy, but the Galaxy had the tiebreaker. They also won last night. So, RSL looking great, and LAFC's coming to town, the best team in the league with Carlos Vela. That's Saturday night, so. Uh, everything rolls on. Uh, they did lose Nick Beasler to a broken foot. That was announced yesterday. Uh, but they plugged in a kid from uh, New Orleans who's barely played, uh, Portillo. And he played great for the last half hour. So the machine just keeps on cooking. They get the win there. All right. Well, that's some of what was going on last night. There's more. We'll get to it as the morning progresses. Um, Coming up, we've got to uh, well, we've got to talk a little uh, college football, that's for sure. And we'll do that uh, next. Riley Jensen. And then Dave Southern uh, covers Boise State for The Athletic. And obviously Utah State and BYU are both playing Boise State this year. So we'll get that for you later this hour. But Riley's coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Time now to talk a little college football with Riley Jensen. He's coming to us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Riley, good morning. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm curious, Riley. You know, you run the camps and the coaches, uh, part of the recruiting process, they want access to you and what you know about kids and kids' work habits and all that kind of stuff. So you end up with access that a lot of media members don't get. What kind of dirt are you hearing that the average media member can't report right now because they don't know? <laughs> uh, not, you know what? This isn't the time of year where I get a lot of the dirt. Um, I would say right now that overall I feel like high school coaches, players, and those sorts of things are probably <clears> – <throat> feeling more attention than they've had in a long time from, you know, Utah State, Utah, BYU, and they feel pretty good about recruiting because it can go sideways pretty quick if guys aren't paying attention to them. And so I think I think the thing that I would say is that there's, there's not a ton of dirt. This isn't the time of year where I'm hearing a lot of things, but it is the time of year where you're like, God, you know, so-and-so came by this summer, so-and-so came by and looked, this guy's looking at our kids. And it just, it feels good overall to me as far as those schools getting out and recruiting people and doing a good job of getting, I guess what you would call touches. 
at different high schools and talking to the different coaches because the, the, the high school coaches talk a lot. Hey, is this guy coming by your school? And this guy coming by your school? And if you have a if you have a guy that's being recruited, that's usually like a no brainer. It's usually the schools that you can figure out are. Well, God, I know I don't have any guys this year, but they're just not going to show up if I don't have any guys. And they could ask my opinion on some of these guys that we're playing against, you know. And so, I think I think overall, like a lot of the coaches are pretty happy with what's going on. Well, I talked to you about Zach Wilson down in Provo. You look at him; he's had the surgery. He hasn't been hit. I don't know that he's participated in every single drill, all the drills. I don't know that he's participated in every single practice. So how much concern do you have that he'll be ready? And then even if he is ready, he might not be 100%. And what happens, not when, not if, excuse me, not if, but when he takes a hit to that shoulder? Well, interestingly enough, there, there's, there's a huge psychological portion to, to sports injury, right? And so when – when you're talking about what's going on with Zach, there's there's a, there's a damaged labrum. He's on a pitch count. I think they're doing a lot of the things right. Quarterbacks don't really get hit in practice anyway. I mean, I, you know, I, I always laugh when people are like, "Well, you know, he's not getting hit in practice, or he's not. They don't they don't take any hits." And I'm like, "Well, yeah. I mean, that's just that's just normal protocol all the way down through like little league now. I mean, in in high school, we don't." We don't let kids hit our quarterback. Um, we're, we're trying to keep that position healthy no matter what. Now, the, the psychological part that comes into this is he has been injured. He he has been on a pitch count. My guess is is that he went into he went into fall camp about 85%. If he's anywhere between 90 and 95% by the time he starts it, look, those are really ambiguous numbers, right? Like, you're feeling like pretty good, except for maybe on one or two throws if you're at 85%. So he's on a pitch count. They're doing things right, but there's a huge, there's a huge moment for every injured player where they have to stress that injury or they have to go through something that that delivers a blow or delivers something, and the injury holds up. It's almost, you know, and and sometimes with a quarterback, it can take two games or three games before they actually get hit or take like some sort of blow that gives them the confidence that like, Hey, my injury held up. I feel great. I can let it whip. You know, I've, I, I work with all kinds of athletes that, that, that go through this, this kind of psychology of injury. And it's until they stress that injury and that injury holds up, I don't feel like they're totally whole until that until that situation happens. And at the quarterback position, I mean, like really getting hit on the labrum or really like stressing yourself on a rollout and you really throw the ball downfield and you're trying to let it you're trying to let it fly and you feel the pain or you feel the stretch of that labrum or that or that you know that that area. Um, it's going to be hard for him to feel completely 100% confident until he's like really let it whip and it, and it holds up for him. So if you were the offensive coordinator and you were calling the plays, would you run him early to make sure he gets hit so he just gets over that and gets it out of his head? <laughs> would you have him throw a deep ball early in the game for the same reason? Uh, so I, I do that with quarterbacks anyway. Uh, I, maybe not a deep ball. I, I almost – 
I'll almost always run the quarterback or give him an opportunity to take a hit early just to get just to get that out of your system, right? And um, as far as the deep ball goes, I don't think that they're going to – I just don't think you really think about it. If, if you feel like he's good enough to start, you're just going to call the plays that you need to call. But interestingly enough, I do feel like it's important for a quarterback to get hit early just to kind of like get into the game and, and feel like, okay, I took a hit, like it's on, you know, and now I just got to focus on what I need to do. So I would not be surprised to see an offensive coordinator, you know, run him on not, not like an up the middle type of run, but maybe there's a rollout pass where he can run and, and kind of take a hit as he's going out of bounds just to, just to kind of get him like focused back in like, okay, you're a football player. You know how to do this. And, and look, we're talking about this and there's a psychology to Zach Wilson that I think is different than a lot of guys. I think, I think he's got a little bit of an it factor. I think he's, I think he's a football player. I think he, I think his mindset is, is even at 80%, he's better than 95% of quarterbacks in America. So I, there's, there's a part to him that we're talking about psychologically that, that isn't very weak. I mean, he's a he's a pretty strong kid mentally, in my opinion. All right, with that in mind, though, being a strong kid mentally, which I would agree for based on people that I've spoken to back from his high school days to now, I'm wondering, do you think there'll be any residual effect mentally over the fact that he's had this surgery and he hasn't been hit, and so we really don't know how it's going to be until he takes that hit? Well... <clears throat> The good news about the good news about Zach, if you're if you're a BYU fan, is he's been injured before. He got injured his senior year and missed three or four games because of an ankle. So he's he's been through this sort of a process before. Now last year he didn't miss any games for BYU. It was a postseason surgery. He did miss spring ball, but I think that was a you know I think they decided to do that. And so to me. I think he knows some of the process. He knows some of the things that he needs to go to when he's been injured and that mentally he's going to be able to work through some of these things fairly. He played at a super high level after coming back from the injury in high school. I don't anticipate that there's going to be any major things going on with with him coming back from an injury to his shoulder or to his labrum, excuse me. Riley Jensen, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We can ask a lot of these injury questions about uh, Tyler Huntley. Uh, are, any of the, are any of your thoughts any different there? Um, no, not, not much. I mean, injury across the board is, is difficult for athletes for a lot of different reasons. One of, them, one of the psychological reasons is that there's kind of a withdrawal from team. Um, that's perceived by the injured athlete. And it usually, the withdrawal that, that takes place is usually from the athlete, not the team. Um, and they have an expectation of like what they should be treated like when they're injured. And so the only thing that I would be thinking as far as Tyler Huntley is, you know, how much did he withdraw? Is he back with the team? Did he, you know, did he ever feel like he wasn't part of the team as they were going through their Pac-12 championship run? And all indications to me from the people that I've talked to is that he's back, he's strong, he's leading the team and doing the things that he needs to do. So I just get the impression that he's ready to go as well. Look, 
you know, when you play quarterback, when you play the quarterback position, it's if you're not somewhat mentally tough, that position will chew you up. And I, I don't think Tyler Huntley or Jordan Love or, or Zach Wilson are not up to the challenge. I, I think all three of them are, are, are high-quality quarterbacks for different reasons. Yeah, because I analyze quarterbacks and because I do those sorts of things, like I can be a little bit nitpicky. But, I mean, if you're – if you're just backing up to the 30,000-foot level, I mean, these are three high-quality quarterbacks in the state right now. In fact, you could argue that it's as three high-quality quarterbacks that we've had in a while in the state of Utah. Yeah, I would argue that for you. I agree with you. I agree on that concept. And you have Huntley being the only one of them is a senior. And, you know, he has a fair amount of experience, obviously. But Utah's never had this much expectation, particularly certainly in the Pac-12 nor has it had this much at stake. So with that in mind, my thought is Kyle Whittingham dials it down even more offensively because of what's at stake, given the fact that they're expected to go to the Rose Bowl at the minimum. Maybe not at the minimum. Certainly expected to win the South at the minimum. So with that in mind, and given the fact that it is great defense, how much do you expect that he turns even more conservative? Well, I mean, there's... There's kind of a saying amongst coaches and, and players and well, mostly on coaches that, you know, when coaches feel pressure or if coaches feel, you know, like a certain amount of expectation, generally they, they kind of go back to their default settings, right? So right. If, you're, if you're working with, if you're working with, you know, a double wing school and he tells you like, yeah, we're opening it up for your son and, and we're going to throw the ball more because your son is is a great thrower and then he gets into a tight game, guess what he's going back to? It's double wing when he's under pressure. And if you got a wishbone coach, he does the same thing. And if you got a West Coast coach, he does the same thing. And Kyle, and, and by the way, this is not a criticism on Kyle, like, this is a super successful coach that has a formula for winning, but his formula has been play really good defense and play special teams. Don't make the quarterback position an all-encompassing thing that you can only win if you have a good quarterback and run the ball, take care of the football. And I could see, I could see that in certain games he'll he'll kind of not feel pressure because he'll feel like they they have a good chance to win that game. But in big games, I I would absolutely expect that he would double down on really good defense play good special teams and take care of the football offensively which when when coaches say that that's code for run the freaking ball (laughs) when they say take care of the football it means run the ball run the ball run the ball yep so kyle after the scrimmage it was closed to the media uh talked about how uh He's got a wide receiver now who is a big-time deep threat as good as anybody in the country. And when you hear that, I wonder what you think. And not just the words, but listen to the confidence in the tone as well. He is a legit deep threat. As, as legit a deep threat as there is in the country. One of, you know, one of, the, one of the best deep threats in the country. He's blazing fast. Jalen Dixon right there. One of the best deep threats in the country. What do you think when you hear that? <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's what I think. <laughs> Look, he there, there's a lot of moving parts to being the head coach, right? And I think almost every year he he is probably so tired 
of the wide receiver question. I mean, it feels like it's the same questions every year. It feels like it's almost the same answers every year. Now he hasn't give he hasn't given that particular answer, but I mean that's that's a new one that maybe he came up with to like keep the dogs off for a while. Like I, to me. I think the wide receivers need to be good. I think the wide receivers ought to be good. I think they're also a position that he's probably got to make them feel a little bit confident. Because my guess is with Andy Ludwig and with the things that 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 we can deduce from Andy Ludwig and and Coach Witt, that they're running the ball in practice, and you got to you got to you got to do some things publicly in the media and some different things to keep wide receivers happy if you're running the ball a lot. I mean, my guess is is that this team is at the minimum going to be a 60% run, 40% uh, passing team. And so, yeah, you want to be able to say that you have a deep threat so that this guy feels like, well, if I'm not getting a ton of catches, at least I'm going to get some over the top. And you want to say you have a deep threat so that if everybody in the world thinks you're going to run the ball – that yeah, you're going to run the ball, but I'm also going to I'm also going to throw the ball deep on you if you come and put nine in the box type of thing. So, look, I uh, right now like comments from coaches, um, they're tired, they're they're going through and they're thinking about a lot of different things. Sometimes people ask them questions about things they don't want to talk about, and don't think that Kyle's not good with the media and not seasoned with the media. Now he knows he knows. He knows the drill, and he knows what he's going to say. So to me, that answer, as exciting as it may be to Utah fans, um, it may be true or it may, be not, it may not be true. I think there's – when I'm listening to him speak, there's a lot of coach speak that goes on with him, especially in the, in the preseason. And to me, it may be true, right? He may really believe that, but I think he's just throwing things out there to – to get through interviews and to get back on track to what he wants to do, which is look at film, evaluate players, and get to where they want to go um, this early in the season. How good can you be at the deep ball in terms of how many times you need to practice it to be good at it and actually use it in a game? That's an interesting question because – you know, depending on the style of offense that you use, I mean, really good offenses, if you really break it down, aren't going deep that often. And in fact, if you're going, if you're if you have a legit four throws that are that are over twenty yards in a game, and you complete two of those, you're gonna feel you're gonna feel really good about that game. I mean, you're talking about a fifty percent. You went two for four on throws over 40 yards. You tried to hit a post. You tried to hit a corner. You, you did some different things to, to bring the defense up into the box, and then you took advantage of it. So, yes, I think you need to practice it, but I also think a deep ball in those situations are more a function of how well did you run the ball, how well did you set up the, the short throws so the defenses start get, scooting up and getting greedy, and then and then you take it over the top. and. If you're doing those things well, I don't know that you have to practice it that much to be good at it because it's going to be wide open. Like, it's, it's not even, you know, the ball, it's going to be open. And if a, a college quarterback can't hit that ball without a lot of practice, then he probably shouldn't be starting for you or you shouldn't have recruited him. But I do think, 
I do think that the time. I think. I think that maybe the more important question is: is are you throwing the ball enough so that you have good timing in those situations? So. Let's take, for example, you know, my statement that I think at a minimum they're going to run the ball 60% and 40%. I do think that you need to have a healthy amount of practice so that when those 40% of throws happen, when you get to a stressful point in the game and you got to have a big throw or you got to have a big completion or a third down conversion, that the timing is there. Because the passing game, more than anything, and the, more than why you practice it is that timing, right? And so... The timing has to be right to be able to throw a dig at 12 yards, put the ball on his face mask, whether he's covered or not, and make that catch and keep the chains moving. So I think, I think the question is, is you do need to practice the passing game enough so that you can have those, those dagger throws at the end of a game that keep, keep drives alive so that you continue to run the ball and that you can continue to run the clock out and kind of flatten the football on teams when you're ahead with this style of a team. So, so yeah, I, I think the question is well-merited. Like, you do need to practice this passing game, but I have a lot of confidence in Andy Ludwig. I, I've, I've, I've always liked him. I think he's an outstanding coach, and I think you're going to see Huntley be in high, high-percentage passing situations um, and that he will have practiced them and that he'll know where to go with the football. And so I, I fully expect that you're going to see a good – a good passing season out of Tyler Huntley because of because of Andy Ludwig. Riley, it's always good to talk college football with you. We're getting closer and closer. Just a couple weeks now. I know, I know. I could I could smell it. The crickets are out. I, that's that's one of my indicators all the time. Like you, you sit down, you sit down on your porch at night, and you can hear the crickets. They're not usually out all summer when it when it starts the football season. You can hear the crickets. So. When you hear the crickets, don't think of me. Think of football. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Riley. All right, man. There is Riley Jensen, and he joins us every week on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. When we come back, Dave Southern, who covers Boise State for The Athletic. And we'll get his take on the Broncos next. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. We are joined now by Dave Southern, Boise State Bronco rider. Covering the Broncos for the Athletic, Dave. Good morning. How's it going? I, I was very excited because I'm a David, and my only brother's name is Patrick. So uh, I'll always be on that show anytime. That is freaky. <laughs> it, it really is. It really is. But but, it, but it's awesome. It, it, it worked out pretty nice. So, we're practically family. We've established that. That's good. Exactly. <laughs> and then the second thing I noticed is the Boise State family split up. The quarterback is in the Broncos camp. The running back is in the Vikings camp. Got two leading receivers in the Ravens and the Cardinals camp. Who's left? Who's going to be taking the ball into the end zone for the Broncos this year? Or, as BYU and Utah State fans might hope, maybe nobody will be taking. They, they fell down. It's falling apart. The dream dies here. The run is over. The Broncos are a shadow of their former selves. 
Nope. They're picked to win their division. They're not. So who's going to get it done for them? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great question, and of course, one that uh, we've all been you know trying to pay as much attention to as we can and try to figure out what the heck's going on. And so far, the answers are not there. Uh, I will say part of the reason, of course, that they're picked to win it is uh, they have some depth. I think that uh, at quarterback, it's, you know, I, right now it really looks like to me it's either going to be Chase Cord, who's a sophomore. Or Hank Bachmeyer, the true freshman, um, and, of, and of course that—that's—that's that's the hottest contested position battle right now because they've had such a great tradition of quarterbacks, and they lose a four-year starter in Rippon, as you mentioned. Uh, that's, that's a huge deal, and so either one of those guys, I think, are probably the front runners um, at running back. Uh, That—that's that, just a jumbled mess right now. There, there used to be—they've had ten straight years with a one-thousand-yard rusher, and this year is the most up in the air. There always was an obvious guy next up, and now they have Robert Mahone, who's a junior, Andrew Van Buren, who's a sophomore, and it looks like George Holani, who's a true freshman, is going to be in the mix, too. So I imagine all three of those will play, and eventually one of those is going to emerge. And then a wide receiver, um, frankly, I think it's even better group than last year. They are extremely deep. A lot of guys who played good roles last season, but not huge roles, who are primed for, you know, for bigger ones. There's a really good sophomore in Khalil Shakir, John Hightower was a senior. He had a great year. And Octavius Evans, who's a junior, missed most last year with him. The guy that I would have guessed would have been their number one last year, but he was hurt. So they've got a lot of talent there, too. So I think that even though the answers aren't obvious at this moment, I think they'll be okay on offense. But uh, the quarterback and running back question marks are so big that it's tough to say that they'll be great. But I, I think just the talent level is good enough where they'll have another good year on offense. So Cord blew out his ACL, I think it was mid-season last year, and so he's on his way back. Bachmeyer was there for spring ball, so he has a, at least a little bit of experience, not much, obviously no game experience. Uh, is it Cord's job to hold off Bachmeyer? Yeah, that's the way I see it, and that's the way I've kind of thought about it. Even, I mean, even during the spring when it wasn't until the very end we even saw Chase starting to throw a little bit. Um, he, he was he was Brett Rippon's backup last year until he got hurt. Um, his third snap of college football was at Troy, and he had a 44-yard touchdown on that on, on only his third snap. So th- there's a there's an element that he brings in terms of that mobility that was very appealing to people because they haven't had a ton of those in the past. Grant Hedrick being the exception, Jared Zabransky maybe, but um, he. He, he was he's a talented guy, but then when he tore his ACL in October, that kind of threw a huge wrench into the whole thing. And even right now, he's pretty close to back to normal, but I wouldn't say he's 100%. And we're sitting here two and a half weeks away from the opener. So, um, you know, I, I think he still is probably the most likely candidate. But, but Hank, you know, came in and was the number one or two quarterback in the spring as a true freshman. And he's been right up there with, with Chase so far in, the, in, in fall camp. And the uh, sky's the limit for that kid because he's – one of the best recruits they've ever signed in terms of, you know, an offer list or a twenty-four-seven ranking. So, uh, so he's, you know, he 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 certainly will be in the mix right until the end. And if they pick him, I wouldn't be stunned. So you've got uh, all these discussions about the skill player. Have they got the line in front of them? Yeah, uh, I think they have. They have. They have some offensive linemen. <laughs> yeah, they, they all five. All five guys who were, who started at least uh, half the season are back from left tackle all the way to right tackle. So that's at least one of the most stable position groups, if not the most stable on the team. Um, you know, on the left side, 
Ezra Cleveland at left tackle probably is a guy who you'll see in the NFL draft in April. Um, he'll probably be an early entrant. He's that good. Um, and the, the right side struggled a little bit last year, especially early on. Uh, and I wrote about that just a couple days ago. And um, they found a little bit of stability when they put in John O'Chippo at right tackle, and, and he's back as a sophomore. And I think they're very confident that they can start off better than the last two seasons. They've had pretty bad Septembers in the offensive line. So if they can, you know, with five guys back, with, with the same group, they all were healthy in the spring, that they think they can start off better. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. So you mentioned Shakira is just as a sophomore, uh, and we were used to some pretty good receivers in Boise. Is he the next one in terms of NFL talent? I think he would be. I think he would be the most obvious um, candidate for that. He's a guy that um, when he was in high school, kind of, you know, I think his senior year in Marietta, he was kind of more of a running back than a wide receiver. And you can kind of see that skill set that they like to give him, you know, wildcat snaps, end around. You know, screens, things like that, um, and he returned some kicks. Uh, his last his last catch of the season was against Fresno State. He had a, a 50-yard touchdown catch, and he actually hurt his knee making it. So his very last play was kind of a big play. And uh, and he, he definitely is the one that, I, if I had to guess, I think he'd be the top receiver. But John Hightower, you know, who's preseason All-Mountain West, uh, last year was just a home run hitter type, and he's extremely fast, pretty raw, but uh, he's going to be the guy who's going to be able to take a – and around 80 yards for a touchdown or, you know, catch that catch that deep ball. Those are probably the two best things that he can do. So I'll put Hightower right behind him. But I think Khalil's, you know, a guy who's definitely the number one type guy. So at Utah State, they've got uh, the quarterback back, they've got a running back back, and they got to put together a whole bunch of new starters, including a new uh, offensive line. How is, BYU, how is Boise State's defensive line going to look? Yeah, the defensive line, uh, you know, I think if teams have strengths, and they wanted to start up front. They definitely have that on offense and defense too. Um, on defense, pretty much all you know. I would consider them to have three starters on, on the defensive line. They, they, they'd be bringing back three of them uh, if you include David Moa, who's now in his sixth year uh, at defensive tackle, and uh, Sonatani Louie at nose tackle. He's a Utah kid, and Chase Atata at defensive end. And behind them on the interior scale of Gahan was a true freshman last year who actually on that last play was you know took down Zach Wilson um, when, when BYU was threatening and he's, he's he's kind of the next guy up I think with two seniors in front of him he'll he'll get in the mix quite a bit as a true sophomore but he's the he's the sort of guy who I think will end up being an all Mountain West type guy too so I think the defensive line is, is going to be you know the, probably the best part of the defense for them you say the defensive line is going to be the best part of the defense even though they got four of the five DBs coming back I, I would say so. The, the, the DBs are still good, but um, but if you kind of look, they, they they were kind of prone to giving up some big plays last year, and I think that they struggled sometimes against some of the better teams. I mean, like Oklahoma State, uh, Avery Williams, who's going to be the number one corner now, he kind of had a tough game. And, um, you know, Keiko Nawahine at safety had, had kind of a, a down year, but part, part of that was because DeAndre Pierce, uh, one of those guys you, you talk about coming back, missed most of last season. He lacerated a spleen when they played up in Wyoming at the end of September. So I think that, that group is, is very good. It's still I still think they have a little bit more to prove. They Last year they tied for the lowest amount of interceptions in school history. They only had seven um, as a defensive, you know, as an entire defense. So I think if these guys can step it up, they, they should be pretty good considering the experience. But I still think the D-line is going to be, you know, the best part of what they have. 
So Boise State doesn't play BYU until October. They don't play the uh, Utah State Aggies until late November. They got Florida State right out of the gate. How prepared are they going to be for this, or could this get ugly? Uh, you know, I, I, I think it, just looking at, well, Florida State last year wasn't that good, um, and Boise State has usually done, done pretty well in these games. You would think, oh, they, they have a great chance, and I, I think they do. But um, recent history, I mean, playing, you know, when they played against Baylor in a bowl game, when they played against Oklahoma State on the road, uh, they lost a home to Virginia. Like, they haven't done that great against the Power Five teams lately. And, and if Florida State is fired up as I think they might be, and that caliber of athlete, it could it could get out of hand, but I but I think Boise State's well is equipped to be able to handle it. I don't, I don't think it'll be a blowout, but at this at this moment, I yeah I, I have a tough time definitely seeing them pulling out the win with a new quarterback over there because that's a really tough environment. You know they're essentially going on the road, and the the caliber of athlete and the speed just the speed was so stark against Oklahoma State, and I and I kind of look at that with Florida State and go. They might be even faster, so um, it, it could be a really tough time for Boise State. But they've never ceased to surprise me and maybe pull one out. But I, I think it'll be, it might be a tough one down there. If I remember correctly, Harson came aboard after the BYU contract was signed, and he didn't seem like he was thrilled with having to play them the next eight years or whatever it is. As this contract progresses, I mean, I think BYU and its fans down here really enjoy this series, even though I don't think they've had the upper hand by any stretch. What's the feeling up there with the coaching staff and the community and the administration about continuing this series? Uh, Yeah, because initially when they did sign it, um, that was was before Harson, but they, they 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 extended it um, when he um, when he was here. I, I I do think that he is the sort who at first maybe wasn't over the moon about it, but I think as he's played in it and through talking to him, I think he's he's gained more of an appreciation for it. If you look, those games have usually been pretty close. Um, there's a bit of a rivalry there just because of the. Because of the close games, and also because I, I really don't think that they've developed much of a um, you know much of a rivalry with anyone in the Mountain West. Still, <laughs> you know, I mean, most of the other teams that are rivals are in the West. They don't play them every year, so um, I think he's enjoyed that. And even even the twist with Zach Wilson being over there now, obviously he was committed to Boise State. Um, I think adds a little bit more spice to it. So I think that I think that Harson's kind of it's kind of grown on him a little bit more. And as far as the fans go. I think they love it. If you look at the attendance, it's always pretty good. I know BYU travels some people too, but um, the fans here get pretty amped for it. And I think that uh, every year that they look forward to that game as much as any. And and I think that this year should be no exception because it might be it might be their toughest outside of that Florida State game. So inside the division, Utah State is picked to finish second. And you know, different teams have. Uh, I mean, the Aggies have gone to the conference title game once, but so have Air Force and Wyoming. Does Boise State just kind of view them as, you know, teams that must be kept in order and slapped down? Have they built any rivalries with any of them? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there is a little bit of that, and, and I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with, with the way you put it. But um, Utah State is the most obvious one, if they could try to do that. I think being able to be consistently a, ch- a challenger would help. Um, last last year's game when they came up here was a, was a great game, um, you know, and, and they had a lot of hype to it. But, of course, all the fans kind of, Poo pooed it, and they were just like, "No, no, no! They're they're not, you know, they're not that good." And they were pretty good, even even though the final score, Boise State put a touchdown on them at the end. Um, I I think that 
like even this year, if they're going to be pretty good, if Jordan Love's going to be the guy that everyone thinks they will, um, Mike Stanford's the OC now, and he's a former Boise State quarterback, and he was the OC here when they won the last Fiesta Bowl. So there's a little bit more added to it this year, too. And I think that uh, if, if Gary can kind of maintain some success over there, it would really help because, you know, Wyoming hasn't always been that great. Air Force is definitely a, a challenge for Boise State, and it was really difficult because they lost to them three years in a row. But but there, there hasn't quite been the, the vitriol. It's, you know, it's, it's an academy, and, and, and they save that for Army and Navy. So so I think that if Utah State can, you know, kind of be a consistent eight-win sort of team, then I think Boise State might actually have a bit of a rival, which I don't really feel they have right now. Well, maybe BYU, though. I mean, I realize it's not a conference right. game. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and if I had to pick one that Boise State had was the, the closest thing to a rival would definitely be, be BYU. And, you know, I, I know I've written about it a couple times, asking players, asking coaches if they think think of it that way. Harson says everyone's a rival, but um, you, you definitely can tell from other people, you know, all, all the guys on this team that uh, BYU is definitely the closest thing they have to it. I don't think Marshall, their second opponent, is a rival. They've played them once before in 1994, so I, I would disagree. You got me there. They played once before, so I would disagree. I mean, anytime yeah. they chant, we are Marshall, that just gets the blood going. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so with Harson and his relationship with the fans there, uh, Boise State's won one conference title in four years. People restless. Do they realize it's a new era and the Broncos can't win at the clip they did 10 or 15 years ago when they were killing it in the whack? Uh, how, how do people right. handle this? You know, I, think, I think the rational fans would understand kind of how things have changed, that as good as they were and as good as they usually are, they're more of this sort of team. They're not a top 10 team year in, year out. I know people love that. I think any fan base would love that. Um, I think most people kind of understand where they're at. Um, what, what, is, what I think bothered some people is, you know, kind of losing at home, which was, used to be so rare. But even you know, last season they lost not much championship at home. They lost to San Diego State at home. Um, that has kind of got, you know, got under most people's skin. If, if there's anything about being really critical of Brian Harson, he's still a guy who wins 10, 10 games a year. Um, but I, but I think that it's, you know, he, he's, he's a Boise guy. He, he, you know, I live like two blocks away from where he grew up from. I live right by his dad's house. And, uh, you know, it's, it, he's, he's a Boise guy and I think people appreciate that, but he hasn't quite taken them to the highs that Pete did. Like you said, winning one conference title in the last four years. Um, he has, he has one Fiesta Bowl, which is great, but, uh, but that's been, you know, it's five years ago now. So I think that people would love for one of those years and, um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's not going to be coming now, but it might be soon. But uh, I, I think I, I think he's liked he's liked pretty well. But uh, when when the standard is Chris Peterson, and Kellen Moore, Brian Harson and Brett Rippon still were really really good, but not quite that high. So I think still in some people's minds, it's it's a disappointment, which I don't think is fair. Dave Southern, Boise State Bronco rider for the Athletic, joining us. Dave, thanks for coming on. Give us a preseason look, and when they get ready to play the Cougars in October and the Aggies in November, we'll check back in with you then because you know we're family. That that, that would be fantastic, guys. I'll see you at the at the reunion. All right, thanks, Dave. <laughs> Bye. Dave Southern covers Boise State for the Athletic. Thanks to him for coming on. And when we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are on the way. Stay with us.